Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Cinephiles Radio with your host, Steve Pisa. Thank you for joining us on a great Sunday morning. Out here in Colorado, it's nice and uh, nice and windy. You might hear the wind in the background. Out there in California, it's nice and rainy. I'm sure you might hear some of the rain in the background over there. <laughs> Still beautiful. Rain is about rejuvenation. Wind is about rejuvenation. It's all about rebirth. It's going to be a fantastic year, 2015. We always say that every single year, don't we? 2014 is going to be the greatest year. 2013 is going to be the greatest year. 2015 is going to be the greatest year. It's already turned out to be a fantastic year. So get out there. Go find yourself. I love this song. I play it every single time. But Today we have a, a special guest. We have Sean Paul Piccinino. Here to promote Six Feet Down Under, starring Guy Grundy, Aaron Shonky from Bad in the Sun, Vernon Wells. We just go down the list, and we will. We're talking today, we're going to have a great time. In the meantime, let's get to uh, one of my, my favorite songs this year, which is uh, Sea of Chandelier. I, I love, love, love this song. So let's get into this, and we'll talk about some uh, some movies. Movies I saw this week, movies I want you to see, movies I enjoy. Uh, we'll get right to it.
Ah, Sia Chandelier. What a great song, isn't it? What's what's excellent about that song is the fact that it's based on truth and perception to me. When you look at the truth, the truth is that song is relatively sad. It's not a very fun song. It's it's kind of a, oops, this is a, kind of melancholy. When you think about the perception of the song, how in the world can you come up with lyrics and sing them and, and, and go in front of an audience if you didn't feel somewhat removed from that situation? So to me, those songs mean power. To a lot of women, that, that seems a little weird. It's what I've heard. is hmm, That's kind of a sad song. It's, it's weird that you got positive emotions from that. Well, you're singing about it. I mean, if you were alone in your bedroom writing your diary, of course, I would think that it was more of a somber, melancholy moment. But no, you're actually singing about the song, so it's, it's pretty incredible. I love it. So see a chandelier. What a great, great song. Have you, have you seen Elastic Heart? Elastic Heart is an excellent song as well. See, I also wrote uh, um, Diamonds, so that's a great song by Ariana as well. As well as Umbrella. What a great song. She sang that song. She wrote that song for Britney Spears, but never took it on. I think that was a bit of an error. <laughs> How was your week? Did you watch any TV shows? Did you watch any movies? Did you go see any movies? Did you see that they had the uh, Game of Thrones preview at IMAX theaters? Did you see that they had the first five minutes? That was pretty sweet, wasn't it? Did anybody go see that? Please call in. 657-383-1444 again. 657-383-1444. Give us a call. I wonder if you saw it. I was interested in seeing it. I was too busy seeing other films this week. <laughs> There's a lot of films to see this week, I gotta tell you. So what's new in movie news this week? What's new? Well, Mark Hamill came out and made a comment about episode... 50. So the new Star Wars trilogy, the comment he made, almost verbatim, is just chill out. Everybody just relax. The movies will be fine. The, the thing he was saying was stop looking for stuff. Stop looking for spoilers. You're not going to really find any. And, and uh, you really want to hold a lot of the stuff back as far as anticipation goes. So I, I liked the way Mark Hamill came out and made that comment. He also made a comment that the films are really going to focus on the other characters and not on the main characters, but the main characters do add congruency to the films. So I'm really looking forward to that as well. I think these films are, are in the right hands of J.J. Abrams. Are in the right hands. Plus, he's only going to direct the first movie. The second and the third films are going to be directed by a different person. I don't know who that's going to be yet. They've named a couple names, but it's not concrete yet. So I'm not going to say those things. It just seems silly to guess. Especially since we're going to know pretty soon. That's Star Wars news. I like that from Mark Hamill when he made that comment. What other movie news came out this week? Well, there was a scene this week with, with Batman. Batman did his, one of his first scenes with Lois Lane in the new Batman vs. Superman movie. That was very interesting. The thing that was said on set about Ben Affleck's Batman is that it is a different Batman. That it is more of an imposing, it is more of an older, it is more of a mature, and a little scarier of a Batman. So I'm really looking forward to that. That was the comment that was made. 
was that his Batman was a little different than everybody else's, just a little grungier, a little more mm, aggressive, older, wiser, tougher. I'm really looking forward to that. Saw Man of Steel again last night, and music, cinematography, everything's fantastic. Just a little disappointing, just a tad bit. The reason why is that it goes into the new 52 of the, of the comic books. If you see the new 52 from DC, where it's, everything's a little bit more aggressive. Like, Superman is dating Wonder Woman, which makes absolutely no sense to me whatsoever. Maybe I'm just a total, total nerd. But one of the reasons why Wonder Woman and Batman got together was Wonder Woman came from an island where there was no men. When she met super-powered men, they were no different than her. She was not impressed by power, strength. She was impressed by tenacity and mental strength, which was Bruce Wayne Batman. So the one thing that she always had was, who is that guy? And how can he do that when he has no superpowers? And how brave he is for doing the things that he's doing. And that's why Wonder Woman falls in love with him. Batman falls in love with her because why wouldn't you? Like from Pulp Fiction, you'd be a fool not to fall for a woman like this. So it's a, it's a very interesting plot. So I'm pretty sure in the, in the new movies, they're going to go out to the new 52 and Wonder Woman and, and, and Superman are most likely going to get a little connected. But that, that pushes Lois Lane out of the way. And one thing I always loved about Superman is that he had this thing for Lois Lane. He, he always had this thing for her and he held on to it. And it showed this, I don't know, kid next door kind of attitude where he just couldn't wait to be with the woman he loved. It showed a, um, a faithfulness, an honesty, a dignity to the character. This other one just seems like he's lonely and and he went for somebody because he's lonely. Now, listen, his first love is Lana Lang. His second love is Lois Lane. And his third love, I, I guess, is supposed to be now Wonder Woman, I guess. That would make sense, I guess, if you went to the one, two, to the three. But if you go to the one, to the three, to the two, meaning Lana, Wonder Woman, and Lois, that doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. So, but that's just me. What do I know? Anyways, that's a very in, it's a very interesting plot line that's coming out very soon. What other news out? Well, there's some very interesting and surprising and cool, cool, cool news. One thing is Teen Titans is being made into a, a TV show right now. It's already been announced to the cast, not the cast, but the character cast is going to be. So I'm not going to give a lot of it away. But let's just say that Robin is in it. Robin is going to transition into Nightwing within the series. So the Teen Titans is about basically a group of young superheroes that get together that create their own team. And this is right after Robin has become disenchanted with Batman and went off to do his own thing. And this is right before he becomes Nightwing. So they create a thing called Teen Titans, which is him and Cyborg and Raven and Beast Boy and a couple other things like that. Now, they're not going to have Beast Boy in this, and they're going to have Cyborg. And I think Cyborg is going to be in, in Justice League. That's why. But they are going to have Raven, and they are going to have... Uh, Robin in it, which is going to be amazing. So that's going to be the new T Titan show coming out very, very soon. They're, they're you know, writing the first script and they're getting things you know, 
crossing their T's and dotting their I's and getting things done. But that's very exciting news. I mean, you're, you're getting Teen Titans, Suicide Squad, uh, Justice League, Batman vs. Superman. I mean, this stuff is insane. This, this stuff is pretty crazy to think that you live in a, t- a time and a place where, you know, they're making all these insane films. So I'm very much looking for a Teen Titans. Teen Titans is going to be a TV show, by the way. While Suicide Squad is going to be a movie. So they're making all these DC t- TV shows, like The Flash, Arrow, now Supergirl. Now, I'm a gigantic fan of Supergirl. I'm sorry, let me digress. Let me go back to Teen Titans. Now, also who they're going to have in Teen Titans is going to be Barbara Gordon. Now, Barbara Gordon, to a lot of us who know, is that girl Batwoman. Now, in this series, she's going to be disabled. So, in this series, there is going to be a Joker, and obviously Joker shoots her in the spine and puts her in a wheelchair. That's why she becomes the Oracle. She's the she's the seer, uh, like an arrow. Or, or the Flash. Or she'll be the center. Anyways, Supergirl. Give me a new show, and, and then uh, you have Batgirl, Batwoman, that's on uh, over here on... Um, Teen Titans. So there's going to be a love triangle between that girl and somebody else who you might know in, in that that universe who's a princess. And I'm not talking about Wonder Woman. And she'll be in the show as well. They'll have a, a love triangle between the three of them, which will be pretty sweet. And what's interesting about that show is that you're having a Joker running around this world that shot a woman in the back. <laughs> I want you to remember that as you're watching that TV show. There's a Joker in that world running around shooting people. Young people. It's crazy. That's Teen Titans coming out very soon. Well, by really soon, I mean by like a year. Now, Supergirl. I can't wait for Supergirl. Why would I like Supergirl? Why would why would any man like Supergirl? Why, would, why wouldn't you like Supergirl? Let me give you a, three reasons why you should like Supergirl. One, she's not Superman. That's a good reason. Number two is she has real frailties. She has real problems. She has she's a real human to a certain extent that has real issues. That's number two. Number three is her progression in the world is way different than Clark or, or Superman's. So let me get to you what. So Kara or Supergirl was born on Krypton and she was a teenager. And she was sent away at the same time as Kal-El, as Superman. And she got caught in, in some kind of gravitational pull or, or black hole or whatever you want to call it or, or whatever it is these days. And she got pulled in a different direction. So Superman basically went to Earth, became Superman, became like 35 years old. And then she lands and she's like 16 years old. And she's Supergirl. When she lands, she doesn't understand English. She understands Kryptonian. So she starts speaking Kryptonian. She starts going a little wild because she doesn't know. And the one thing that she doesn't want is, one is, she doesn't understand why her her cousin, who was an infant when she last saw her, is now an adult. So she's a little creeped out with the fact that she's being told to do by child slash adult. Number three, she sees her... She, she, she sees her um, cousin as a... God, basically. And she doesn't want to be this person. She doesn't want to be the same kind of person 
that her cousin is. She didn't want to be the guardian of the earth. So she kind of fights that back. Another part is that she came from Krypton. Krypton was thousands of years advanced in technology. So when she comes to Earth, it's old and, and crusty. And it's it, technology's come on, seriously. So she's set back like, wow, this is, this is like the Stone Ages. And it was like the Stone Ages for her. Supergirl coming out really soon. And Supergirl will be on CBS. And they're going to have the same producers as Arrow, some of the same writers. So we're hoping that there's going to be a cross between them all because Arrow and, and The Flash are having cross movies going back and forth, cross episodes going back and forth. And we're hoping Supergirl will as well. She, she exists in this universe. So it's incredibly important. I, I'm going to enjoy it. Did you see the Captain Adam? Uniform they had on Arrow. Did that not look awesome? That looked pretty awesome, didn't it? It's interesting to see a previous Superman become a new super character we're supposed to be in Marvel. There's a bunch of new things coming out, a bunch of new cool things happening in the Marvel, DC, Imagine, you know, Malibu universe where all these comic books are starting to be turning to films. Interesting thing I, I heard this year, or this week, excuse me was by Vince Vaughn. Not Vince Vaughn, by uh, Vince Vaughn. Wow, did I get enough sleep last night? <laughs> Matthew Vaughn. Uh, Matthew Vaughn, who did Kingsman, who's coming out next week. And I'm really looking forward to that film. IGN gave it 9 out of 10. A lot of, a lot of people gave it very high scores. Um, Kingsman's going to be really fantastic. But he was talking about Kick-Ass and, and how, he, how he's most likely never going to do another Kick-Ass film. And he said, I'm just done with those with those films. I'm going on to the next thing. I can, I can see why, because originally they wanted to do a Hit Girl offshoot movie with Hit Girl. But it never happened. Interesting, interestingly enough, as Claudia Moretz made a comment about, if you really wanted to see this movie, you should have paid to go see it, because it didn't make a lot of money. And the reason why is a lot of, it was the most downloaded movie of the year, of that year. So, people didn't want to go see the theater, but they definitely wanted to download it. Boys and girls, listen. I have zero problems with you downloading movies. Zero. Zero, zero, zero. It's not, you're not copywriting. For, you're not pirating. You're not doing any of that stuff. You're pirating if you download a movie and then you distribute it. If you sell it. If you post it again. Then you're doing something wrong. But realistically speaking, downloading movies is not a big deal. I like to go see a movie, pay like 50 bucks to go see it like once or twice with somebody and get food and come back and I, I want to see it on my screen until it comes out on Blu-ray. I don't want to wait any longer. The new plans for like Netflix and Amazon and all these other places, they're going to do things very differently in about two to three to five years, whereas movies are going to be released in the theaters and in your screen at the exact same time. The fear for a long time for a lot of people, especially from, from the movie industry, is that people won't take the time to go to the theaters anymore. They'll just stay at home. They're staying at home already. Yeah. 
That's like saying that if I do this, my girlfriend will cheat on me, and she's cheating on you already. It doesn't make any sense to me. It's already happening. Uh, don't be like the music industry. You have to change. We all want to go see movies. I mean, they're making movie theaters way more convenient now, so we can go see them, making things a little cheaper, or making things worth the money, like couches with the legs come up. I love those. The couch comes up, and you can have a, like a martini or a glass of wine or something like that and have real food. That's a fantastic thing. They're trying to show you why it's worth that money. Go see the movie. Go see Birdman in the theaters. Like I told you the other time, somebody said Birdman sucked. Oh, Birdman sucked. Birdman did not suck. Now, was it your type of film? Maybe not. Did it suck? No. Can you go out and do it? No. So it didn't suck. <laughs> it's a great film. Is it your 14? No, maybe it's just not your movie. That's fine. That's like saying that this woman is ugly. She's not ugly. She may not be attractive to you, but she may be attractive to 50,000 other people who are not you. So go see those movies. Kingsman coming out next week. Valentine's weekend. Matthew Vaughn. Going to be a great, great film. I can't wait to see it. How about you boys and girls? What can't you wait to see? Call in 657-383-1444. I want to hear from you. We have great the great Sean Paul Piccinino right now. We're gonna we're gonna have him on. He's calling from on set, so which is awesome. Hello, Sean. How are you doing? Hey, how's it going? Good. Good to have you here. Yes, yes. I'm excited to be on, and uh, uh, I'll apologize if it gets a little noisy on my end, because uh, I am here uh, live on set, and uh, they're setting everything up. And uh, Ooh, that's exciting. Yeah. Yeah, it's fun. This is a, a great project called Black Salt, uh, written and directed by Ben Ramsey. Um, some people might know his work uh, from Mark Wahlberg's film, The Big Hit, or... Um, uh, his uh, the other film he directed recently, Blood and Bone, with um, Michael oh, yeah. Jai White. Um, mm. So yeah, he, he asked me today on the, to come down and uh, play a little cameo role as an MI6 agent. Uh, and of course, I jumped at the chance. Oh, we saw some of those pictures. Those look fantastic. So you got your call late last night to come in and do your show, huh? Yeah, yeah. Like I said, just a little cameo, and uh, you know, I've uh, known Ben for a little bit now, and. Uh, hopefully going to collaborate on some projects here in the future. So um, always, always interested in coming down and helping them out. That's awesome. Well, life is just picking up for you. I mean, we're, we're looking at your IMDb right now. Your IMDb just basically should explode once you press on the button, looking at all the credits. <laughs> when you press on it, it should just, it should just collapse on itself. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and we can, and we're going to, we're going to get, and we're going to get to all those movies, especially Reprisal, which we, we can't wait to to hear what, what you're going to do with that film. But let's let's go back, all the way back to, to where it all began. Because I know we've had a conversation about this before, but looking at these credits, everybody wants to know, how does Sean Paul Pacino begin? I, I know that you started off in your hometown. I know that you started off doing commercials back then. Uh, was this always your drive, and were you, were you different than other kids growing up? Meaning, 
was this always kind of your click of like doing a lot of things and doing them well? Uh, yeah, I've always been a multitasker. I think I've always thrived on uh, doing multiple things at once. For some reason, that focuses me more. So, uh, you know, if I'm editing one project, I can't just edit that one project. I need to have something else up. So I'll have multiple computers up. Uh, so in that regards, uh, and I'll be, you know, doing Photoshop on one and then, uh, you know, editing on another, then doing the sound design on a, on a third screen. You know, I just always have thrived on on having more than one task going on. For some reason, my brain is wired that way. And I think uh, that's why martial arts is... Uh, always intrigued me so much and and been a part of my life since I was very young is uh, there's so much stimulus and so much so many things to think about and go on I think it really kind of challenged my brain in that way and and so I always have gravitated towards it um and well, you're uh, a lot same, like same a with lot the film practice people. well you're a lot like a lot of successful people I know whereas the, the martial arts seems to have at least guided or set a precedence of who you're going to be I mean you're a previous teacher you're you're a black belt over and over again. You're, you're a master in Kung Fu and what have you. It's obvious that you have the tenacity to get things done. Uh, did, that set, did that set a foundation for you of, of who you want to be in the future? Uh, of course, yeah. Martial arts is a huge part of my life. And uh, like I said, I started training very young. Obviously, influences with the... Uh, with Bruce Lee in in the early early days, and and then uh, even more so Jackie Chan. Uh, I was really a big Jackie Chan fan, um, and uh, you know uh, those were from very very young the influence of wanting to get into martial arts. And but then of course the martial arts definitely set uh, a precedent in my life in the way I respect myself and people around me and, and the universe and the earth and the and just everything around me. It's that amount of respect that I have for, for everything that uh, helps me, uh, you know, go through anything that I'm working on. I respect what I'm working on. Uh, you know, some of the teachings in Kung Fu is you, you must respect your enemy and care for your enemy and love your enemy uh, if you are to, you know, uh, overcome it. So that kind of philosophy is what gets me through, uh, let's say, you know, filming a film. Uh, I've got to respect right. and understand the challenges that are ahead and, uh, and, and you know, truly love those challenges or else you will fail, you know, if you don't right. uh, love the fact that uh, the rain is going to completely, uh, you know, make you lose $10,000 for uh, your, your shoot day. <laughs> uh, if you don't right. love and respect that challenge – it'll defeat you. So, um, yeah, the martial arts is, is such a huge part of it. And, uh, you know, starting in that small little town with, uh, with, uh, Kiyoshi Pat Haley, uh, as I knew him back then, his title might have changed now. Um, right. But uh, Haley's martial arts center. And then, you know, from there bridging over to the Academy of Kung Fu in Tarzana, California, uh, with uh, Master Steve Pisa. Uh, now Grandmaster Steve Pisa, uh, mm. I might add, and uh, mm. um, continuing that path. And, and really what I, I loved about the Kung Fu, too, is the, the – and actually the karate I studied actually did was, was soaked with the philosophy as well. It wasn't just, you know, your mainstream, you know, uh, USA chanting as you're throwing your kicks and punches karate. So I started off with a great foundation, and that's why – you know, searching for another martial arts school was really tough for me, and I couldn't find one 
that I had a similar philosophy with, which was that ultimate respect thing until, you know, we landed at uh, the Academy of Kung Fu in Tarzana where, uh, you know, the first things we spoke about were philosophy and, and music and, uh, you know, all of these types of things, which was the opposite of every other school I went into. And they were talking about how much better they were than every other school down the street. So, um <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's That's very hilarious. interesting that way. It's the uh, the testosterone and machismo that kind of gets in the way of a lot of martial arts schools truly becoming great. Absolutely. So so you had the martial art training, and, and your father was, was involved in playwriting and in his play group and directing and producing and doing all those. How did that influence your, your existence as an actor? Well, it's huge, you know, and... and Obviously, my father was one of my biggest heroes, and uh, growing up and watching him and being part of that world, you know, behind the scenes even, like seeing how it all comes together and it's for a play, it's months and months and months of rehearsals, five days a week, several hours a day, and it's like your prize fighters preparing for a cage match. People, they prepare so much for that one performance, and some of them it's one weekend and it's over. So, right. uh, you know, it's it's amazing. Now, the rewards from that are tremendous. The rewards from that are, um, you know, this this live reaction from a live, living, breathing audience. You get instant satisfaction if you do something correct. And just seeing that was amazing. And, and uh, seeing all the work my father put into uh, producing and directing these plays. He produced a Shakespeare in the Park. He's the drama professor at a university up there, and um, Barry Peach, you know, uh, he's he's the head of the drama department, and, you know, he's uh, coming up on his retirement, but he's done, I, I don't think he'll stop doing plays once he retires either, I think, and I kind of have a dream of building him a theater uh, down here in Southern California and just letting him, at his leisure, uh, you know, do whatever plays uh, he wants to do, and then coming and... Uh, doing cameos or, or or playing some characters for him and bringing in some of the other Hollywood talent uh, to to play on his stage is, is a big dream of mine. I really, uh, it's a goal and, and something I'm trying to manifest uh, uh, yeah. as we speak. <laughs> well, you know, to say it was an influence is, uh, <laughs> is uh, <laughs> it's an understatement. You know, right? it, the understatement, yeah, it's a huge influence in, in uh, wanting to emulate him in just a slightly different medium, you know, I became fascinated yeah. with the idea of the, um, the, uh, you know, almost the macro look through a film lens. I mean, you can see things so much closer than on stage, and uh, really, at that, that's what kind of really intrigued me. The subtleties that I could display on film uh, were so different than that on stage that it made me want to explore that. And again, that's where I started with the you know, the amateur filmmaking and short films and, and then commercials uh, and so on and so forth. And, and I still do the commercials. I direct commercials all the time today and music videos. And uh, I've got a new music video that's going to come out. I directed uh, by Tanel. Uh, it's called Get Some. And uh, that should be coming out pretty soon. We just finished post-production on it. Awesome. Awesome. You know, Sean, what I was going to say, what I, what I really like about your father, and I've met your father many, 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 many times before, is uh, he's a very humble man. Uh, you know, I remember when somebody asked me about my father, my father passed away. They say, I always say that he's a great man. And somebody said, well, how is he a great man? 
And it's very difficult for me to explain that after somebody had died. It's like, well, now I've explained myself. Wow, that's interesting. The interesting thing about your father and why I think he's a great man is when we watched those movies and we saw the the lackey on screen, I, I didn't hear a man who had his own agenda. I didn't hear, I would have done this, or I would have done this, or I like this, I didn't like this. It was just support. I love this. That was great. That was great editing. Your mother was the same way. Do you find that to be um, the cornerstone of, of like motivation as far as family motivation goes? Or, or is that slim pickings? Or is that more of a common thing between you and your family? I Yeah, I, I really couldn't have uh, a better representation of a father and, and or a mother. Uh, and I'm so extremely lucky in that regard. Um, you know, that image of what a, a great family is, and they're not perfect by any means, but uh, that that idea of, of love um, uh, has the greatest weight and it can overcome any problems. Uh, all that stuff is uh, definitely rooted in my upbringing by them. And, and you know, some people might not know that he's not my biological father, uh, who whom I've never actually met, uh, my bio, my biological father. Uh, but he came into the scene very early. I was around three or four when he um, and my mother first started dating. And um, he was, <laughs> when I first met him, the very first thing I did was punch him right in the balls. That was the first, <laughs> the first thing I did. Uh, when I met him at like three and a half years old or so. Wow. Um, That's an and it was because uh, my mom, <laughs> my mom set it up with, this is the, this is the man who's been taking me away at night. And so that at that oh, moment, geez. in that little three-year-old's brain, uh, I just walloped him right in the balls <laughs> and uh, dropped him. Um, and uh, so that was a very interesting uh, uh thing that in that didn't detour him. He didn't uh, run away after that. Uh, really? Uh, instead, he showed up to my, my next birthday with an amazing uh, kid pool, you know, with, it was like a turtle, I believe, that had a little slide in it, like built in. Wow. And, uh, and some other things that just really, to a three-year-old, I went, wow, this guy, this guy's a keeper, mom. Uh, <laughs> and then the very... I think the next birthday after that, he bought me the Castle Grayskull. So he totally, he totally uh, schmoozed me with Austin. The guys. Castle Grayskull. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, oh my uh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was awesome. Uh, but uh, but no, I mean, he really took me on right away as as his own, and uh, just gave me unconditional love. And uh, I remember, I very distinctly remember, uh, I was close to five, and we. My, they had married, and we moved down to Southern California, San Diego. Some of my fondest memories on the the playing on the sand and building sand castles in Pacific Beach. It's part of the reason why I moved my family towards the beach, so that they could uh, experience some of those same things. Um, and uh, I distinctly remember running across the top of a, um, like, uh, you know, uh, concrete, like, wall, um, and, uh, he was always afraid I was going to fall. And my mom, uh, always told him, don't, don't scare him. Cause once he gets scared, he won't be able to do these things. Um, mm. and he was narrow and I was just skipping across it. Like it was uh, nothing, you know? Um, and I remember jumping down from there and looking up and, uh, then asking my mom, uh, if I should call him dad, um, uh, 
And uh, sorry, I'm getting a little emotional. But uh, That's nice. yeah, I, I distinctly remember that. And uh, yeah. it's very strange to think of him as not my biological father because he's been there as far back as I can remember. And uh, right. but yeah, huge huge uh, influence on the way that I live my life. And uh, and well, that's going to be my, my next question. When, when I look at when I look at your life right now, Sean, you know. I, I see you with your family. I see you with your with your your family you grew up with, and I see the family you created with with, with Lieutenant you know Jody and 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 the kids. And, and did did that was that a a a a cornerstone of how you want to create your family? Because uh, uh, other people and I keep on saying this all the time. There's a huge difference between a Sean Paul Piccinino and another director. Whereas I I see a man here who could have a wife, a family, two beautiful children. Great biological family. Keep on working. Be a good person. Work hard for other people. Tell me, was it your family life that created this future family life, or or was it within you the entire time? Please tell me. I think I think that uh, it has to be uh, because of that. I think there's all sorts of ingredients that that'll go into it. But yeah, if you want to pinpoint it to something that is uh, the main uh, ingredient, it would be my direct family. And, and I had other great influences. Uh, my uncle, Greg Hoffman, uh, and his wife, Beta, um, they really took me under their wing. And even as a young kid, I remember waking up with my uncle, Greg, uh, I had a bunk bed and I slept on the top bunk. And I remember just randomly waking up without any, any, uh, warnings. Uh, the bottom of my bed was getting like nudged. And I would, you know, look over the top of my bunk, and there would be my uncle Greg, who had uh, just dro- driven up from. You know, I lived in Northern California, and he just drove drove from, drove from Chicago or something crazy like that on his motorcycle just to surprise us and, and spend the week wow. with us. And uh, and uh, you know, he was a major influence on me. He was uh, I went to, took my summers and would go hang out with him uh, all the way up through college, and then I eventually moved. Um, close to him uh, to kind of experience that part of my life, first being on my own, that he was my safety net. You know, I could fall back on on Uncle Greg if if uh, stuff got too hard, you know. And uh, so, you know, I had great, great people in my life. And then, uh, again, Pat Haley, my martial arts instructor, was such a great influence in, uh, in those early years. And so I think it's it's, you know, throughout throughout my life I've been extremely lucky to have these people who have shown me uh unconditional love and that being the the uh, for all my faults because I am definitely not perfect and I I continue to make mistakes even to this day uh you know and and they're not small mistakes I, I make mistakes all the time but uh you know it's that uh, that that thing of the people around me loving me, even even for all my flaws, and and vice versa. I love all of them, even with all their flaws. Well, I want I want to talk to you a little bit about about Jody because Jody Jody's been your wife for a very long time. She's a fantastic woman. She she works with you in your life. She works extremely hard in her job. She takes care of the kids. She works with you. Tell me, what kind of an influence has has Jody been in your life, and in in which way has she helped you to progress your career? Well, let's just be brutally honest. I probably wouldn't have a career without her. Uh, you know, she's 
so amazing in so many ways and works so incredibly hard and does it all. I mean, she works just unbelievable crazy hours and still comes home and wants to cook. You know, I say, you don't have to cook. I can cook. I can do that. She wants to cook. She wants to do it. Uh, you know, she lo- she really loves, I, I think, in a another life, she wanted to be a master chef and she really could have, could do that. And she, maybe she can still do that. Yeah. We we joke around about having our own food truck and stuff and, and maybe we will go down that path because she's got some great stuff. I mean, she'll make some random dish that never made before and I go, wow, this thing should 100% be on one of those gourmet trucks or in a restaurant or something because it's uh, it's just unbelievable. Her own creation, she's very creative that way. Um, but right. I mean, she just works so hard, supports me uh, to allow me to to chase this dream and never stop chasing this dream, even when I've had doubts and, you know, this business is so hard to get uh, a foot up in. And, uh, you know, I say all the time, the way to make it in this business is to never give up. That's it. You just got to stick, stick with it. Most people quit after two years. I'm now going on, you know, 14 years uh, of doing it. Uh, sorry, we're here on set. Um, Don't worry. So, but anyways, uh, yeah. So it's definitely, uh, definitely. Uh, um, well, that's awesome. Yeah. I, I know. I know for a fact when she when she when we watch the movies like The Lackey and what have you, she'll see like 19 versions of the film. So by the time she sees the movie in the theater, she's like, "Yeah, I, I've seen this already 20 times, but I, I'll watch it again." It's so sweet. Yeah. I remember when she saw it at the pictures. It was so sweet of her to say that. I'm like, are you, are you enjoying it on the big screen? She was like, well, I've already seen it 19 times, but I'm going to enjoy it this time too. Like, oh. <laughs> well, you know, she's a good barometer for me too because uh, she doesn't sugarcoat anything that way. You know, she's right. she's actually very hard to impress, um, it, which has always been probably the most impressive thing to me and, and probably intrigued me. You know, I go through my life with people giving me accolades and, uh, I've always been right. uh, somebody who's quick to pick up certain skill sets and I can do flips and I can twist and all. And she just, that doesn't impress her at all. <laughs> and right, probably, right. Uh, right. you know, which m- intrigues me so much about her. And so that's in that same respect, I can, um, you know, show her something. And right. if she actually, her eyebrows raise and she actually says, oh, you know, that's, that looks pretty cool. That looks pretty cool. Then I know that I've done something really good. Or something great, right. you know, um, because she doesn't uh, she doesn't uh, you know impress lightly, um, and, she, and she lets stuff marinate too. She lets if she sees something that she thinks is funny, she might not laugh right away, um, but then right. a few days later she'll crack up and and reminisce on that line. So she really absorbs things that way. Uh, she uh, before we had kids, I I could have told you she had a photographic memory. Um, and I think the kids stole some of that. Uh, yes. <laughs> and now Lyra, Lyra, my youngest, really displays uh, a tremendous, I think, borderline photographic memory. Um, well, what's, and, what's uh, incredible, Jody is, is Jody's a greater job. She, she's she is a black belt. She did act in two of your projects, which is uh, Visions of the Dark Side and The Bloodletting. But she doesn't like to yeah. act. She doesn't want to act, which is very un- un- uncommon. I, I knew where she lived. For a woman. I knew where she lived, and she was free. So <laughs> that's how I was able to convince her uh, to. Um, that's how I was able to convince her to uh, be in those projects. You usually don't find beautiful, beautifully charismatic women who don't want to be in movies. It's very strange. Yeah, I think I think uh, that she would do some more. 
but obviously she's so busy it's hard um, to get her into some of the projects. But I do have plans in trying to get her uh, in there again somewhere. Uh, I always have nice. those plans, even though she'll say she doesn't want to. I think deep down <laughs> inside she would she wouldn't mind doing uh, some more stuff like that. So um, maybe, maybe we'll write her yeah, part or something. Yes. Yes. Well, the, your your first major motion picture was The Bloodletting. And I know you don't like to talk about that a lot, but I, I really did enjoy that film a great deal, especially the especially the uh, the parts with the the police department and the detective that was on on, on the shoot there. But let's go to that film because I want to do I do want to hear about that The Bloodletting. How did that happen? How did you get the script together? How did you get the camera together? How did you get the people together? Because you were relatively young when you did this. Yeah, I think it was like 22. Uh, well, we just wanted to do something. We had done some short films. We obviously had shot so many commercials, and uh, I wanted to try the longer format. Really just, just didn't even care uh, what the project was. And we, My cousin Jeremy Dunn, we were kind of in the same consensus, but let's just do something. Like Neither one of us went to film school, um, and that really that was my path, but I didn't end up going to film school because I just started working in the business. Um, right. but I said, this will be our film school. Let's do it. Let's make something. And we started looking at our resources and the people we knew and, uh, had a gentleman named Lou Klein who did, did amazing makeup effects work, uh, silicone and, and all that kind of stuff. And he did, um, he would do dental casts and make crazy teeth for people and all that stuff. And so we started going back and forth on, on, you know, some ideas on what we could do and how we could utilize certain people. And Lou's name came up and uh, he said, oh, he can do amazing vampire teeth. I said, oh, there you go. That might not be too expensive to do. Get some vampire teeth and they capture your actual teeth so they look like your teeth. Even if you looked up and underneath the, inside somebody's mouth, even behind it would look like it was still your tooth. So that kind of was the jump off point. So we'll get some contact lenses, we'll get some of these teeth and uh, we can do a vampire story. And so then we literally wrote a first draft of a screenplay uh, called the bloodletting. And uh, we had some really cool backstory stuff involved with it that never actually made it into the film. And, and uh, everybody says that detective role should have been expanded. And that was really just an add on and afterthought. Um, it was really nice. And uh, the, yeah, the gentleman who did it really was fantastic and I wish we would have had more of a role for him. Um, but mm. you know, it was one of those things we shot the rough draft. There was no editing on that right. script. There was no, uh, it was just literally, you know, we all busted out our credit cards and we got a camera and, and, uh, uh, some lights and a tripod and right. we went down and got, uh, this, um, garden cart from home Depot with like the big air tires. And that became our camera dolly. Um, you know, we, we zip tied the tripod inside the, the, uh, garden cart and rolled that down our back alleys and we shot it all at our wow. apartment complex or condo complex and, and the back alleys there. And, uh, um, we ended up getting, uh, the owner of a, a bar restaurant, uh, to let us shoot a scene in there. And the scene was, um, just the, the our main group of friends, um, all you know, grabbing some beers and getting to know each other, and one of the gals introduces her new boyfriend, which is this gentleman named Jonathan, played by Jeremy Dunn, and he just happens to be this thousand-year-old vampire. And mind you, this was all but way before Twilight and and all that stuff was even a, right. a, a, in the consciousness. Oh, this is two thousand. This is two thousand four. This is way before then. Yeah. Yeah. So we uh, so we just were shooting it, and and we 
we got into this, this was our big location. Hey, we got this barn. This is really cool. And we get to shoot in here. And, and uh, we did the public filming notice and we did all that stuff, but we didn't have a permit because we were shooting inside. We didn't have any exteriors. And we didn't think we needed right. a permit since we had the permission of the, the owner. Well, what ended up happening is uh, a neighboring bar, like a rivalry bar, um, uh, <laughs> called the cops on our shoot. And they sent over, <laughs> excuse me, I had to sneeze. Uh, they sent over some vice cops. Literally undercover cops came over. Wow. And they pretended to be bar patrons and they came to our shoot and then they even volunteered to help. And we said, Oh, that would be fantastic. We need some people holding these bouncers over here and blah blah blah. So these two vice cops and the mistake we really made uh, with that whole shoot is we said, you know, we can't pay anybody to be in this, but we'll provide food and drink. Well, and we paid, you know, X amount to the to the owner so that, you know, we could keep the the food and drink up. And it was all like, sure. uh, you know, like, like uh, appetizers, nachos and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And uh, yeah. so these guys were eating and drinking and, and uh, helping us out. And I'm not kidding, probably three, four hours into the shoot, these guys drank, I mean, tons and tons of, uh, probably like three pitchers of beer and, and whatever else they drank. Wow. And they were kind of, they kind of got drunk. I mean, they were not kind of drunk. They were really drunk. And I was like, hey, thank you so much for helping us. And then they start going into, well, we're actually vice cops. And we're shut down your production. And they're like slurred speech, the whole deal. Like, what are you talking about? And they tried to explain themselves. And the bar owner quickly ushered them outside and said, you have to show us badges. And you can't just come in here making accusations and blah, blah, blah without showing a badge. And neither one of them showed a badge. And so he shut and locked the door on them. And then called the <laughs> called the regular police. <laughs> so long story short, uh, while this is all happening, he says, "Get your cars around back and get all your gear out of here, so they don't confiscate your gear." This guy is wow. just, I mean, he was like seventy years old, just such a firecracker. Yeah. So he did this whole thing too, and they tried to push him in the push the door in. He like fell down and started claiming they hurt him. Yeah, I mean, this guy was a character. Oh my gosh, to write a character in a movie, this is the guy. So. Uh, you know, we got all the gear out, which was great. I mean, the cameras and all the footage and everything. And uh, the regular police ended up coming down and, you know, kind of sorting this whole thing. They were actually vice cops, but because they didn't present their badge, uh, he wasn't without, uh, out of his bounds. He didn't get in trouble at all. Um, What ended up happening is we got a $100 infraction for um, uh, not having the permit. Yeah, not having the appropriate permits. So, mm. um, so it cost us a hundred bucks, which was amazing. But the, the better part of it was that the beat cops, the regular police officers that showed up, very lovely woman was the main gal we spoke with. And she said, you know what, you guys are just, you know, some young kids trying to do something here. Uh, right. you know, you guys aren't causing trouble. You're actually trying to do something productive. And she explained the area that she patrols with her partner. And it was their area. And on what days? And she said, do you want to shoot out here? Shoot on these days and shoot in these neighborhoods. And wow. uh, I'll make sure you're left alone. And it was amazing. <sighs> and so sure enough, we were shooting in one of the alleys. And we see the cop lights come on. And they turn on. And we go, oh, man, we're going to get in trouble again. And nope, it was her. It was her. And she rolled up wow. and said, hey, just checking in on you guys. And 
you know, keep doing what you're doing and blah, blah, blah. So I wish I remembered her name because uh, that was amazing and allowed us to continue shooting. So really that, that film was our film school film. You know, that's how I, I treat it and I, I think about it. It's definitely not a perfect film and it's very cheesy and uh, the writing's terrible and it's shot on a like standard it. definition. I, you, you always <laughs> say this. I like the film a lot. I, I do like it. Let, let me ask you a question. She was nice to you and they obviously were on your side and I see this a lot with your type of personality. Do you do you go for that immediately for the for the for the nice guy, for the for the regular Sean Pacino in order to get things done? Because a lot of people might be argumentative in that situation, like, you know, fight her back or, or do something wrong. Instead you just kind of said was sincere, said what you had to say, and then she gave you what you wanted. Has that always yeah, been your think- advantage and, and when when did that start to kick in? I think that's just part of my personality. I, I uh, you know, kill him with kindness type of thing. I've, I've never, I've definitely gotten confrontations, and I have, a, I've always had a short temper, and all that stuff can, can plague me. But, uh, you know, I think martial arts is a big part of that as well. Is is kind of going with the flow, and and just, you know, if you get knocked in a different direction, just now go in that direction, and uh, you know, it's that accept and redirect kind of Tai Chi philosophy that has been very beneficial for me in film production. Uh, even my, you know, especially my days in working in television, like the Deadliest Warrior show, that things changed on a dime so much. I mean, I would have a cameraman and a camera, and I'd be shooting a scene, and they go, you know what, you don't have him anymore. I need him and his camera. I go, okay, well, how am I going to get my stuff done? <laughs> so then I'd go track down another camera. I'd go, is that camera in use? That's supposed to be for uh, uh, grabbing green screen effects? Okay, that's great. How long do you need them? Okay, you're going to be done with them in 15 minutes? Great. I'm going to grab you, and then I'm going to start shooting my scene again. And so it was just that kind of, that thing where you just, otherwise, you, we didn't finish, we wouldn't finish a show. Those network deadlines are unbreakable. That show is going to air on this date, so you have to finish right. this stuff. Uh, and uh, so I think that martial way uh, of, of thinking and philosophy just really um, made me successful in that right. Uh, even getting the to be the second unit director on that show and, and the full director on that show was um, just because a little bit of tenacity uh, and and having some cojones to go to this billionaire executive producer and tell him what I thought. Uh, and, uh, and then when the opportunity actually arose, stepping up to the plate and, again, going with the flow. And that show is so crazy to shoot, uh, especially in the first season, because we had so little money and and no time to do it that a lot of people were cracking. I mean, the main directors and the main DPs on that stuff were cracking under the pressure because they couldn't get done what they needed to get done. It became the running joke that they would spend the entire first half of the day shooting arrows. It was like every episode. They would waste an entire half a day just shooting people shooting arrows because that was so hard to do and get it to look right. And uh, meanwhile, I would take a second unit and go shoot. 40 scenes. <laughs> you keep <laughs> shooting arrows. I'm going to shoot some other right. stuff. Uh, but it, of course, they did a great job too, and they, and they got a lot of you know, amazing stuff. But um, you know, just one of those things where uh, you know, I think the martial arts is is so influential in my in my family upbringing, is so influential on all that stuff. And like I said, I went right up to the when I saw what was happening. It's like you know, you see that opportunity and feel fill the need or, or you see a need, fill the need type of thing. And right. um, I saw how bad they were behind schedule and how they just weren't getting 
the footage they needed. And I went right up to the executive producer and I said, uh, you know, hey, I'm just going to put this out there that your fight team, your, the people that are coordinating your fight and co- doing all the choreography, like myself and Noel Vega, said, uh, we know these fights backwards and forwards, and we can shoot them in a m- much quicker way, in a much more dynamic way. So, uh, and, and I put it out there. I put it out there for Noel, too. I said, you know, so if you give one of us the opportunity um, to, you know, direct the unit, we will get your stuff done. I said, and if you break off, if you can spare another camera for us, we can be shooting stuff at the exact same time that you guys are shooting, and uh, it'll cut your time in half. So he looked at me like, <laughs> like I was like, uh, who is this kid? And, uh, you know, a day later, he came up to me and said, Sean, you're going to get your opportunity. Uh, you're going to direct wow. the second unit. Wow, okay, because I thought I had put out Noel as well because he's my mentor and uh, in this business, and he's the one who's always taken me under his wing and uh, always gets me um, job opportunities and pulls me on board, and, and I love this guy to death. And so uh, I was actually shocked that he has such a greater vast experience than I, and the guy's worked with Jackie Chan and, and uh, Oliver Stone, and, you know, this guy's amazing. So I thought for sure that's who they would let Second Unit direct. But the opportunity came right. to me. I, I felt a little bad about it. I'm like, well, it should probably be Noel, but I think because I approached him and I'm the one who right. put it out there, that he gave me the opportunity. And uh, I, I couldn't say no. So I, I took it and, and ran with it. And, but I give all the credit to Noel because it's really where I learned a lot of um, all of that stuff was, was from him. Right. Well, if you don't ask, you won't know. And that, that's the key to that story right there. Yeah. You know, the one thing that a lot of people don't know about you very well, at least what I don't think people don't know about you very well, is that you're you're an excellent editor. Uh, editing is an incredibly difficult job to do, and it's time-consuming, and it really does lead the movie in the direction in which the editor a lot of times leads it. Uh, they're the final cut of, of tonality and and feeling. Uh, how did you get into editing, and, and how important is it to you as far as in film production? Well, the editing obviously came out of necessity, um, you know, for our own projects. We couldn't hire somebody else in the beginning. And now now I've uh, had the uh, luxury of being able to, to pull on assistant editors like Tony Warren and um, just saving myself time in, in that regard. And, and getting different perspectives is always amazing. Like on the Lackey, he was, he was my right-hand man in the editing room. But yeah, editing, uh, you know, it's one of those things. It's uh, I've probably had the most success in this business via editing and visual effects. Um, but uh, it's so tedious and it's so time-consuming. It's really a difficult, difficult job. And and uh, it is such an important part of it. All of this stuff is important. Music score, all that stuff, sound design, so un- unbelievably important. People don't realize, and they take a, they take for granted a lot of, of that stuff. They don't understand what it took to get a picture to that place, and that's why I'm such a defender of even these big temple films when uh, critics just bash them and give them zero merit and tell people don't go waste your money when I know that over a thousand people put in three years of hard work <laughs> to make this picture, and it's just supposed to be fun. It's not supposed to be right. Lawrence of Arabia, and the critics right. have incredible power. You know, people people actually listen to that, which I think is ludicrous. Uh, I don't listen to yes. critics at all. 
Um, you know, I, I'm happy when they give certain films accolades, and, and there's certainly better critics out there than others. But you get this, we're, I believe we live in this age of hypercriticism, and everybody is this expert critic. And uh, right. and because they don't like a certain thing, that means nobody else should go see it. Uh, and that drives me nuts because there's a lot of, you know, it's not just the stars and it's not just these big powerful producers and directors' um, livelihoods that are at stake, even with these tentpole movies. It's the makeup department. It's all these people that have put so much blood, sweat, and tears into this project. Even if it is kind of crappy, I'll go and support it and and because I know that, yeah, maybe the movie didn't turn out. The Lone Ranger didn't quite turn out how they wanted it to turn out. But I'll tell you what, my buddy Eddie Fernandez flew backwards through a train on a zip line and released and smacked his head on the ground. A moving train going like 30 miles an hour backwards wow. through a window, smacked his head on the ground and was knocked unconscious for that film. And, uh, and then people just watch it and go, oh, it's CGI. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> there was CGI during that scene, but he really went through that and he, and he did it. He did it three times. He did one time before that and did not get knocked out. Second time he got knocked out and then they thought there was some camera focus issues. So three weeks later, when the doctor cleared him again to do it, he went out and frickin' did it again. Now, which take do you think they used? <laughs> which take do you think they used? They take where he smashed his head? Yeah. So that third one yeah. you didn't even need to do. But this is my point. Really? These people, these people put, yeah, these people, they, I guess they discovered the focus was okay. But these people, uh, uh, you know, this, that's just one little tiny part of what it took to make that movie. And yeah, the movie's not right. great. But to me, the amount of effort and time of all the small people that put into that movie, the ones not making millions, it deserves to be right. seen for them. And I think the hypercritics should just pull back the brakes and view things for what they are. And they're not all Oscar contenders. And they're not all, you know, these brilliant films. Uh, you know, right. John Carter's another example, which, by the way, still made almost $400 million. It's it was just a, it was a good in movie. The, in, in the box office. It's just unbelievable yeah. to me that they're calling that one of the biggest flops of all time, when it 100% <laughs> is not. But if for some reason they want the studio wants to write it off and they want to call it a failure. Um, but it makes me mad because I know a lot of the stunt team and I know a lot of the people that worked on that film. And it's just like the hours of rehearsal and all that stuff that goes into it. I'm just a, I, I guess I'm a real champion of, of filmmaking in, in, in almost every aspect. And, you know, not every movie deserves. Uh, um, there's certainly a lot of people. And they're not setting out to make a bad movie. They're not going out there and no. saying, we hope this movie is a piece of junk. They're all, every one of them is going out there trying to make the best thing that they can possibly make. And, and they don't always succeed. And I know I won't always succeed in that regard either. Uh, and haven't always succeeded. Look at the bloodletting. But I mean, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, I'm going to still, I'm going to believe that, that out of you one of these days. That bloodletting was a good, <laughs> film. you know, you keep on bashing that film, man. That, that movie was good. Hey, everybody go watch the bloodletting and then post on online. How much you love that film. Shut him up already. Will you please? <laughs> I love that movie. I, every time. Uh, but your, your career is just, I mean, blossoming. We, we, we were talking the other day about how, how I want to do five movies a year. And you're like, I don't know how we can do five movies a year. I'm looking at five movies a year right now. And you're acting real. <laughs> yeah. So when you look yeah. at it, like, you know, superpower beat down. You're working with like Bad in the Sun, which which we're having on Six Feet Down Under, and then When the Fever Breaks, and Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, and Trespassing the Terror, and Mabel, and Samurai Cop Two, and then the next movie, Reprisal. 
So let's let's go back a little bit. Let's go to Superpower Beatdown. Let's let's go back to this because I want to hear about this stuff. So you're we're working yep. with Aaron Jonky right now, and you're doing Superpower Beatdown. Which which episode did you work on? And uh, I know you can't talk about a new episode that's coming up very soon, but uh, how was that like? Well, we can actually, yeah, we actually can talk about it because it's announced and people are voting on it. So yeah, we're we're about to shoot next week. We're gonna start shooting uh, uh, Winter Soldier versus Night uh, Wing, and uh, nice. And uh, yeah, and Aaron Shrinka is actually repri- reprising his role. Talk about reprisal! He's reprising his role as uh, Nightwing. So the director creator of that, and he's also uh, the star of our show. One of the stars of our show, uh, Six Feet Down Under. Aaron Shrinka is uh, amazing gentleman. Love working with him. Always, always have a great time on on Bat in the Sun Productions and the Superstar Beat Town. And um, you know, the last episode we did was the the. Um, uh, Batman versus Darth Vader, which was just epically huge, oh, yeah. I mean the, the the sets were amazing, and um, and uh, the episode has gotten millions and millions of views, so it's a huge success, and I'm so proud and happy for the guys over there uh, at Bat in the Sun for for all the success they're getting, and uh, I'm excited to you know work on another episode. They also have uh, uh, Ryu versus uh, the Green Ranger, which is going to come out next. Well, that That's the next one to release. Yeah. And that one yeah, I actually didn't work on. Um, that was actually uh, Alvin Singh and Peter Jang that did uh, the uh, fight choreography and uh, the stunt coordination on that one, which we're now going to mm. team up because it's great guys. Love those guys. And uh, we're yeah. going to team up on this Winter Soldier one. Uh, they'll be uh, Alvin will be a part of it with me. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's going to be going to be a boys and girls out there in Cinephiles land. Listen, if you're, I know you guys are all listening. I can see the numbers right now of all of you guys calling in, listening in, wanting to hear Sean Paul Piccinino tell you everything about the world. If you do not vote for <laughs> for Robin to beat the Winter Soldier, I'm going to come after you. Let me tell you something. There's no way the Winter Soldier can beat Nightwing. There's no way. So that's just my sentence right there. <laughs> the guy was taught by Batman, man. The other guy was in a frozen popsicle. Isn't he Batman's son, technically, too? There's different versions, but yes, there is Batman's son in there as well. And and he's the only man or boy who knows a lot of Batman's tricks. He's an expert hacker. Let me tell you something. There's no way the Winter Soldier... He's going to make Winter Soldier's arm make like a Krispy Kreme donut while he beats him up in the face. He's going to hack into his arm. So, yeah, I don't... I I can't wait for that episode. But... uh, I also loved watching a lot of the uh, screens, a lot of the shots for uh, When the Fever Breaks, uh, the zombie movie coming out yeah. very soon. And you play a bad guy in that one, right? Yeah, that was that was a fun departure for me. Uh, when the Fever Breaks is going to be uh, looks beautiful. I love looking. I've seen some of the footage and um, shot on these Blackmagic 4Ks, uh, which it just looks really fantastic. And originally the, it was going to be shot on a red, but there was some technical issues there. Uh, and then we got these awesome uh, black magics uh, to come and save the day, and, and really been impressed with every every uh, clip I've seen of it. I'm just like, wow, this looks fantastic. It looks like a movie movie, you know. Uh, which you know, sometimes you these little zombie things, you think, ah, it's gonna be whatever. But this looks like The Walking Dead or, or something like that. You know, it just has that good, pretty feel to it. And um, real excited about that film, and and I love getting to play. Uh, I always love playing imperfect people because I'm imperfect, but the uh, right. getting to be, you know, <laughs> uh, should I say very Shane-like uh, in my approach to the view of the world. 
yes. <laughs> I, won't, I won't say anything more than that. Well, we have uh, we have uh, Dr. Jekyll, and Mr. Hyde coming after uh, right after that, and we're really looking forward to that. We had a couple of, a couple of crew members in there that were this is their last film. Uh, a couple of crew members there that were continuing to work with, and Brian Basuglia was doing all the directing on that film. So t- tell us about who's in that film and, and some of the special so special experiences we've had on, on that shoot. Yeah, again, amazing. Amazing, fun shoot to do. I wish it, it didn't end. You know, it's those things you get sad when it's over. Um, but uh, most notably was Mickey Rooney's last film that he uh, worked on. Um, you know, we all got a day with him. That was really it uh, before he passed. Um, but that was amazing. Uh, I don't think any of us will ever forget that experience and him telling his stories and, uh, you know, uh, parting knowledge on us, and and uh, um, it was a firecracker up into the end. And uh, you know everybody else. Uh, I mean, just amazing cast and crew. Brian, uh, of course, so much fun to work with him. Can't wait to do. I want to do more projects with him for sure. Um, Vernon Wells again is in there, um, and uh, he's so fantastic. It's always awesome to have him on there uh, with us. And and. Uh, uh, we get to work with him on a couple different projects like Six Feet Down Under and Lackey. It's amazing uh, the, getting right. to work with someone you grew up watching. You know, that's always uh, such an honor, you know. And uh, there, there are just so many movies to go through and so many films to, to just package, especially for 2015, 2014. There's just so, there's so much momentum going off on your career there. Now, I want to talk a little bit, because we're running out of time, unfortunately, and I can talk to you for hours here, but... Now, there's two two things I want to talk to you about is Six Feet Down Under, which is number one, and then Reprisal. So tell me about Six Feet Down Under. I, I know that we're working with uh, Guy Grundy, we're working with Aaron Shonky, we're working with Vernon Wells, we're working with a lot of a lot of the great people we worked on before, a lot of the great teammates. Please tell me about this film. Well, the show is um, is you know it's our little brainchild here. It's a really cool project. It's uh, Again, I love to delve into those gritty worlds, uh, which this is no different. Uh, this is like the criminal underworld and underbelly and getting to see uh, certain sides of it. And a lot of it is uh, firsthand account uh, experiences uh, that we're drawing from in the storylines uh, with some of our cast members um, who have lived very colorful lives, uh, let's say. And, uh, you know, bringing some of those elements, there's obviously influences from like uh, Luke Besson films, uh, The Professional, La Femme Nikita. Um, uh, and of course, uh, more modern uh, uh, espionage uh, spy type films. Uh, the, Bourne, the Bourne series comes to mind when you see some of our footage. Um, so we got some influences there. And uh, so it's a great, fun, action packed, uh, you know, type of show. And uh, we're really excited to, uh, you know, get it out and. Uh, and see where we can go with it. We are currently in negotiations with the, or in talks, I should say, with a few different companies about maybe taking this to a, a higher medium, like a, one of the streaming services or, um, you know, certain network outlets. So real excited with that and uh, continuing to work and develop that. Uh, we might end up making the format longer. Currently it's at like a web series type of format, the 12-minute episode. Um, but we might bump that up to 22 uh, or even 44, which is the hour-long uh, programming. Nice. 
So we'll see uh, we'll see exactly how it all pans out, but I'm real excited. Uh, definitely check it out. Please go to our website, uh, you know, sixfeetdownunderseries.com. You can find out more information on Facebook and all that fun stuff. But um, yeah. really Facebook, cool series. Real excited about it. Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're on all the social media. You guys go check us out. Follow us. Like us. Um, and it's a really cool project with a lot of people. Again, it's one of those things that like I was saying before. Everybody is putting in so much work and blood, sweat, and tears to make this fun little project come to life. And, and so I just really hope people uh, can can see that and appreciate it and some great action in there, some fantastic stunts with Lee McDermott, our stunt coordinator on the show, the guys like, you know, falling off the rafters and buildings into boxes for us and stuff. And, and he's a stunt coordinator. I'm like, really? You're the one right. who's going to do it? He's like, yeah, I'm going to do it, mate. And I'm like, all right, okay. <laughs> Uh, Lee's going to fall from the Raptors. Awesome. So, uh, you know, just, and these are all, you know, it's all people making next to nothing to do this stuff. Uh, and, uh, that's why I hopefully take it to series and can really, um, you know, it'll pay off for everybody's hard work. Um, so that's yeah, awesome. six feet well, down you were, there. You worked very hard on that trailer and the trailers, boys and girls, the trailer came out into to really nice numbers. Come on and watch six feet down on the, the trailer on truly indie studios on YouTube or on Facebook. You can find it on six feet down under and see the trailer. Sean put that together as well as directed the episode as well as writing the episode with some other people, but uh, he did a great job that the, it looks fantastic. I love the sniper shot a lot. Uh, put some comments on the, on that YouTube video and people keep on bringing up that number. So six feet yeah, down under, Guy <laughs> Grundy, Sean Piccinino, uh, you know, uh, Vernon Wells, Aaron Shonky. Uh, we're looking at maybe ten episodes if it doesn't get uh, didn't get pushed over by by some big companies right now that are, that are looking at the show. So that's that's very interesting. So six yeah, feet down yeah. under is that one. But let's let's talk about your 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 big gig that's coming up really soon, which is reprisal. Because I'm looking at director Sean Paul Piccinino right here. About to have his uh, gigantic directing job here. Please tell me about this. I'm excited. This movie uh, is really cool. The scope of it and uh, and where it takes us. And and I'm really excited to shoot on location. Um, so I want to spend some time in Ireland, really getting a very authentic view of. I don't want any green screens. I don't want any of that stuff on this film. I, I really want to, uh, you know, show off the scenery. Um, so we've got Ireland, we've got Abu Dhabi in there. Um, wow. You know, just just an amazing uh, city that I just want to shoot. I want to shoot the the crap out of that city, uh, show off the architecture and uh, the amazing band. they got, like, the tallest buildings in the world there, uh, those two towers there that, you know, Tom Cruise likes to run down the side of them for fun. Um, I know. He's so, crazy. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so I'm real excited. They're big, cool-looking city, uh, industrial, modern, uh, juxtaposition with the green hillsides uh, and cottages in Ireland. So, uh, you know, real excited about that. It's another story of kind of espionage and and, uh, and uh, revenge. And, uh, you know, it's about this photojournalist who uh, sees and witnesses uh, certain events in his youth that come back to haunt him uh, mm-hmm. when he's, uh, you know, later in his life. Um, right. And uh, so, yeah, it's, uh, I don't want to give too much away, but um, I'm real excited. We're looking forward. And really looking forward to uh, getting to work on that more. We're still in the development stages. Um, 
but uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully, going to production in mid to late June, uh, July-ish, and, uh, and you'll try and get it done before the end of this year. By the, so you're going to get try to get, get it done by the 2015 cycle. That's our goal. Yeah, that's our goal. So if all wow. goes to plan, then uh, that's what we're going to do. Um, and luckily, uh, uh, with the budget permitting, we can get all that done. So if anybody can do it, you can do it. But you're going to you're going to play LJ in this film, so you're going to you're also going to star in this film as well. Uh, this is well, the yeah, it's not really a film. starring role, but uh, yeah, it's a, a fun little role and and. Uh, you know, things in this business can change on a dime. So depending on <laughs> how our casting goes, uh, right now I am slated to play that role, um, and I'd yes. be very excited to play it. It's it's uh, it's not a huge role, uh, but I can't say too much about it because of the way it reveals in the story. But um, well, you are you are directing it, so I mean that, that's that's a big thing. I mean it's it's the biggest budgeted film you've ever directed in your in your life. Am I right? Yes, yes, yes. It will be. Wow. Now, how excited are you about that? Uh, very excited. I'm just, uh, you know, it's the, that the calm before the storm thing. I'm just uh, really waiting for, uh, you know, I'm trying not to overthink it. It's like watching water boil <laughs> type of thing. <laughs> I'm trying to get all the all the ducks in a row and all the the eyes dotted, and uh, and uh, you know, when we're in Abu Dhabi uh, or Ireland or whatever, that's when I'll I'll throw back a pint and really celebrate it. Well, I, I know a lot of people, or at least a few people, were involved with getting you into this film. And then when you got into this film, you brought some people with you. How important is that to you in, in filmmaking or in production as as far as communications, not breaking, not burning bridges, and also bringing along people who are good at what they do with you along the way? Yeah, it's really interesting. It's always, you know, you want to build up your team and, and then the people you work with and guys work so well together you guys know each other uh so well and how you work and how to get things done in a timely fashion because even on this film's budget we have to make these certain amount of days and and get it done because um you know the money runs out uh it's it's you have to do it no matter what your budget is so it's important to have people you can trust and and who understand what you're going what your goals are and what your vision is for for any project. So, uh, and it's so important uh, that Steve Schneider, who through his uh, he's he's our, our publicist and and but he's also you know always pitching us uh, for different things. And so he's who brought my name into the hat for this uh, picture. So I'm I'm forever grateful to Steve um, for that. And and uh, he says I can't pay him anything, but uh, but uh, he's going to get a. He's going to get a check no matter what. So, but anyways, uh, so yeah, I mean that's important. And then bringing on other people. Unfortunately, uh, with this particular picture, because we're going to these locations, I might not be able to bring as many people as I want to because we've got to do local hire for, for you know the budgeting reasons, and that's part of sure. you know where the budget comes from and the money comes from is, uh, from one of those locations, and they really want to highlight their town and they want to hire their locals so it's one of those things where that's the catch-22 it's like ah but i need to i need to bring at least this core amount of people i need i need my assistant director i need my dp you know like those type of things have to come into play but um and uh but you know some of the other things you've got to fall in line because that's how the deal is presented and and uh right uh 
But uh, yeah, I mean, it's one of those those catch twenty twos where I wish I could just bring every single person that like my whole team from six feet down under. I would just fly them all over. Uh, but it might not work out quite that way. But uh, you, to me, you usually see it's really important to have your team. Do you usually see these as moments where, as you know, you can get your team in there and then, or not get their team in there, get the hoopla, and then later on bring them into some other project? Yeah, it's always that goal. I mean, the goal is it's it's, uh, and I'm extremely loyal person, so uh, I'm That's always obvious. trying to, yeah, I'm trying to bring up the people that are that are supporting me. It's that support system. You support me, I'm gonna support you, and back and forth, right. and and always building that kind of you know, that core team, you've got your, your brat packs and those are of course just actors, but, uh, you know, you've got your, um, you know, like Sam, Adam Sandler and, and those type of people that really, they have their team and they, and they're always bringing their team with them, uh, on whenever they can. So hopefully, yeah, we'll get to that point where, um, that won't even be an issue anymore. It'd just be like, this is my team. This is who comes with me. And that's the ultimate goal. That's definitely the ultimate goal. Right. I, I love the story about John Wick about how uh, Keanu Reeves brought on the cinematographer or the the stunt choreographer to be the director. They didn't want to hire him, so he did it independent with forty million, and then he made eighty five million in the theaters. Yeah, it's a true. It's a huge success story for, um, and I think that eighty five was just uh, just domestic too. I think they made even more than that. It was. And then of course they're their VOD and everything they're they're doing. It's a really huge success story, so much so that now they are directing the um, same team, uh, Chad Sahowski, who, uh, you know, founded the 8711, um, yep. and uh, and um, the gentleman. But uh, they, they're now going to do probably a John Wick 2. I was just reading about it. And then they're also wow. doing, uh, um, what is that movie? It's got a really great name. It's like, Oh God, I can't remember it now. But it's like three words. It's like cowboys, aliens, and guns, or you know what I mean. It's like one of those. Oh, yeah. It's got a huge yeah. star attached to it. But now, and this, right. they were talking about making that movie before this. Now with the success of John Wick, now they're saying, "Hey, we want those guys to do this movie." So it looks wow. like they're in negotiations to do this another huge movie. So that's just going to take off for them. And it's amazing because you know, we've talked about this that the, there's these weird. Um, things in the industry where if you're a stuntman, you can't be an actor or mm. if you're a stunt coordinator, you can't be a full on director. You know, it's these, uh, almost these, you get kind of shoehorned into these things and they think that you can't be outside of that box. Um, which is really a shame because especially when you're looking at like an action movie, like John wick, you say, wow, the stunt coordinator really was the best person to direct this movie because how they understand the action and the action became a story element in that movie. Yes. You know, the action yes. itself is is telling the story of his personality and his anguish and his uh you know, all those things. And so it's just really and it, I, I say it all the time, that movie is a huge success for the stunt uh community. And and then hopefully right. uh, like we're all saying that the Academy will eventually recognize stunt people because it's amazing that they don't. It's really, in my opinion, asinine that there is no recognition for stunt people in the Academy. Right. It's uh, it's one of the the biggest head scratchers you could have is <laughs> how how you don't recognize uh, the people, even in dramas, even in uh, you know uh, love story dramas. There's amazing amounts of stunt work that go into those movies. You don't. 
you know, there might be a car wreck or something like that that happens. It doesn't have to be an action movie to have stunt people right. uh, because right. just about every movie, even kids' movies uh, about birthday parties and big Beethoven dogs are all stunts. <laughs> it's like, right. uh, so, but anyways, it was a huge triumph for the stunt community and uh, I'm so happy for all the 8711 team and uh, everybody that was involved with that. It's tremendous success and, uh, and it looks like they're going to get to do a lot more really cool things now because of it. And Keanu is just, I mean, it would be my Keanu. dream to work with him. He, he's one of the, yeah. he's one of those people that are on my bucket list uh, to work with in any capacity. I don't care what it is. If, uh, you know, whatever this, you got to come be the, the gaffer. I will go be the gaffer on Keanu Reeves film. Uh, he's, he's definitely, a, a, one of those people, and it's not just because of his body of work. I love his body of work. We'll go back to Bill and Ted's. I mean, that, I, just, I love that movie. Right. Uh, right. I grew up with that movie and those characters. And uh, But beyond his his work, which I do really respect, a lot of people make fun of him and say, you know, uh, the kind of surfer uh, slang type of, uh, uh, you know, the woes and all that kind of stuff. But to me, he's actually a very prolific actor. And people don't understand and truly appreciate how great of an actor he really is. But beyond that work, it's him in his personal life and what he does um, for charity work and, and doesn't even take credit for it. I mean, he's done so right. much stuff and doesn't even put his name on it. Uh, yeah. There's other people that have to then leak that info like, no, listen, this guy, millions and millions of dollars and the way he takes care of his family members and and, right. and then the people he works with, that's what makes me want to work with him more than the body of his of his work as an actor. It's just him as right. a human being and the influence he has and how he uses it. I completely, 100%, am trying to emulate that with my life and trajectory. If I can right. get any kind of success, I want to be able to do the same things that he has done or, same, or similar types of things that he has done in that part of his life. Well, I, I definitely think that you are. You know, one of the reasons why I mentioned John Wick is because your your stunt reel is just intense when you go back. I mean, uh, Sean Paul Pacino has been in, in, in so many things, going from Heroes, Spider-Man, Web of Shadows. And we're, sometimes we're going into video games here for mo- motion capture and stunt, stunt work, like Call of Duty, World of War, Deadliest Warriors, where he, where he assisted stunt choreographed six episodes, uh, Call of Duty Black Ops, Call of, De- uh, Call of the Dead, um, UFC Personal Trainer, Prototype 2. I mean, with Sleeping Dogs, The Lackey, Black Ops 2, Mob of the Dead, Face... I mean, we're just going all over the place. This is crazy. Uh, old <laughs> Max Steele, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Reprisal, Mabel, Devil's Night. I mean, you're doing so much. It, it's obvious that you can do stunt work, stunt choreography, and also be an excellent director as well. Um, you have so many hats in the field. If I was coming up right now, and I'm like, I want to be like Sean Paul Pacino. I want to be a nice guy. And I'm talking like a genuine nice guy. I like some jackass who's secretly, you know, a nice guy or vice versa. I want to be Sean Pacino. I want to be a nice guy. I want two beautiful children. I want a beautiful wife. I want a great life. I want to live by the beach. I want to make all these movies. I want to be a stunt choreographer. I want to be a a movie writer, a, a script writer. I want to be a director. I want to be a producer. How could I be you? Let's say I'm 18 years old. And from your old town, what advice can you give to me? Oh boy, um, <clears throat> I think it's uh, there's so much that goes into it, obviously. But uh, uh, I'd say 
I would I would really suggest going to some kind of film school or something like that. Uh, if you are not, if you truly don't think the college, the, the, the specific college path is for you, and you're really, truly passionate about filmmaking, then, you know, I would go try and find some kind of place to really get that schooling because you will learn so many technical aspects of filmmaking um, that is, uh, you know, so important. Um, and uh, in this day and age, just start making some projects. And I, what I would say is that the, the industry is, move, is moving so quickly to the, to the streaming medium uh, and the YouTube channels and create some quality content. Take your time, make some really great projects and videos and start building that part of it up because I'm late to the game on that. I really should have been doing this YouTube channel like five years ago and making some shows and <clears throat> doing all that kind of stuff. And so that is a realm that should really, um, people that are serious about this medium should be doing more of. Um, and, uh, you know, I learned a lot just by going and working on sets. So if you really truly want to learn, you've got to just get on set. I don't care how you do it. Yeah, and I mean in a legal way, don't like sneak on a set. I mean get a job as a, you know, a PA or become an extra. Become an extra. Go go get on set. I don't care if you don't want to be an actor. Uh, but become an extra and just watch what they're doing and how they're doing it. And that was the best education for me. That was my film school. I was an extra for about a year straight. And I just went and observed. I didn't even care about, uh, you know, I made a little bit of money or whatever. It wasn't very much. You know, you get lucky to get 100 bucks a day. But um, it was really about the education for me. Like, I really didn't, uh, you know, uh, care about trying to get bumped up or any of those kind of things with it. I was, I was truly treating it as my education. I was taking notes. I brought my laptop and I would take notes on certain things that I saw. Uh, I did get lucky enough on an episode of, uh, I think it was CSI Miami or something like that back in the first season <clears throat> where somebody knew somebody that I knew and they said that I could shadow the DP for the shoot. Mm. Uh, so for several hours, I was able to just walk around and watch what he did and take in the notes. And uh, that was, you know, an amazing experience to see what he was doing and and uh, I've always said in this business, you've got to diversify or die. So I, that's why I have so many credits in so many departments, because uh, if I get that opportunity, I don't say no. I just say yes. I love Sam Jackson's attitude on work. He's like, I'm never going to say no, because I have no idea when this will all come crashing to an end. So he just says, if right. his schedule is permitting, he will say yes to a prize. And maybe, I don't know if he does that still, but this was you know a couple years back when I read an article about him talking about this. Uh, and I love that attitude. It's like, you just, just go to work. I'll be a gaffer. I'll be a grip. I'll be a PA. Uh, I started with an animation company uh, as a PA. And within two weeks, I was a lead visual effects artist because uh, they didn't have an opportunity for a visual effects artist, but they did have an opening for a PA. And I was way overqualified for the job, but I said, I don't care. I'll just do it because this is television. It was for a TV show with Drew Carey. And I said, I'll just do it because I know for a fact they're going to need help. And when they need help, I'm going to be there. And I'm going to be the first one to say, I can help you with that visual effects shot. And within one week that happened, they said, we need help with the shot. And I said, well, I know After Effects and I've self-taught. I know how to do it. So I can help you guys out. 
So they gave me a shot to do. I did that shot in about 15 minutes, and they said, you are now, <laughs> we're going to give you about 40 <laughs> other shots, and you are now a lead visual effects artist on the show. And that's exactly how it worked. Uh, it was basically one week of getting lunches for everybody and coffees and all that, uh, and then went right into being a visual effects artist. So that's my biggest yep. lesson to people. If you really want to get into it, I think you should still get some kind of an education, uh, but just get yourself on set. Um, and wherever you live, there's always some kind of production going on somewhere. I don't care if it's a student film, it's a short film, just get the experience. And the more you do, the more you shoot, don't turn your nose up to, to gigs that don't pay if you have the means and ability to do it. Uh, if you're 18 years old and you're still living with your parents and you can go do a free project, go do it so that you get the experience and see what it's all about. And my other number one advice is don't ever be an asshole because you don't know who uh, is going to become what in this business. And it happens just like me becoming a visual, lead visual effects artist in one week. Same thing with that PA that you think is a jerk, uh, could become the next producer, could become the next Spielberg. You just never, ever right. know. And if you're an a-hole to them, you're going to then black, blacklist yourself with that person. Uh, and, and, and nobody's perfect. I've had run-ins with people in the business. And no matter how nice you are to some people, they – they uh, just don't want to hear it. So it's one of those things where you gotta you gotta just try your best to never be an a hole. <laughs> right. <laughs> if you want to make it in this business. That's awesome, John. Thank you so much for being on the show today. We we would greatly appreciate. It. We can't wait to see Reprisal Six Feet Down under the series coming out very soon. Uh, check it out on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. It's all over the place. Sean, how can we get in contact with you? I know we can get in contact with you through Facebook, Sean Paul Pacino, as well as your fan page on Facebook, Sean Paul Pacino, fan page, actor Sean, Punch, Sean, Punch, Sean Paul Pacino on uh, Instagram, and then actor Sean Paul Pacino on Twitter, right? Yeah, I mean, obviously those are all great ways to get a hold of me on IMDb. If you've got pro, you can get a hold of my management or my uh, representation, RPM, talent, uh, my agency. You know, you can get a hold of me uh, for bookings uh, if you need to, you know, uh, if I fit the bill for a project you're working on, feel free to get a hold of me or my directing. You can also contact my agency or my managers for, uh, you know, obviously my directing uh, background. So uh, get a hold of me there. Uh, and then, but do, please come and follow me on Facebook and all that. So I really, I do participate a lot on those social medias. Uh, and, I, and I don't care who messages me, I'll, I will, uh, I will respond. It might take me a while because uh, get a lot of those inboxes full, but um, I respond right. to every single person. Um, and then uh, uh, also check out Black Salt, which is where I am right now on set. They're about ready to shoot, so I do have to get get going. Um, and uh, check that out on Facebook, Black Salt uh, by Ben Ramsey, uh, great writer director. Uh, and I see them signaling, signaling me now, so I better get over there. Oh, we have perfect timing. Sean, Sean Paul Piccinino, thank you so much for being on the show today. God bless. Have yourself a great weekend. Thank you for being here today. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Goodbye, Sean. All right. Sean Paul Piccinino, the great man, on his way to shoot his movie. Oh, yeah. One of my favorite guys in the whole world. When I was I was in the hospital for three months, I was in a motorcycle accident. I was in a wheelchair for two years. Uh, Sean would you know sit next to me or would call me on the phone as I was hallucinating off off at the lot and would talk to me and we 
discuss cars and life and martial arts and what we'd be doing afterwards and the movies we'd be making. And I can't think of a person that I love more, admire more, enjoy more in my life uh, than Sean uh, Paul Pacino. He's one of my one of my favorite human beings in the world. Uh, now we have a great guy. We want to have him on for a little while here. Uh, it was Suzanne Belgay-McCone told me that he was available today. We have J.J. Rogers. J.J. Rogers is going to be on right now. J.J. Hello. How are you? Hello, J.J. How are you doing, sir? Oh, I, I am very, 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 very busy. And... Uh, <laughs> I, I absolutely had a great day. I just I just wanted to make the time and, and say thank you again for the invite back to your show. Uh, we're we're down here at the uh, Berlin Film Market in uh, Berlin, Germany, and it's absolutely amazing. And I, I I I heard that you wanted to talk to me, so of course I I said absolutely. So I, I called well, in as soon so as much. I could. I I I heard that you were. Running a little late or something like that. I heard that my actual call-in time was uh, 7.30. I hope everything's okay. And then it, she said, no, just go ahead oh. and call in at 8.30. So I said, I'll call in at 8.30. So my blessings to whatever's going good. on. But uh, uh, okay, Thank as long so as everything's so all right. Everything's good. So, you, so you're, in, you're in Germany right now. Tell, please tell me, how was your trip and, and how's thing, how are things going down over there? Wow. This, is, this has to be the most amazing thing film market I think I've ever been to uh, as of right now I can tell you that the active market is absolutely the hottest thing that I've seen we've had 5 to 15 uh, theatrical buyers a day stop by it's been amazing absolutely amazing VOD, SVOD, TVOD anybody that understands that type of language it's been incredible not only that you know, we had our, our, our star, Phil uh, Pitzer from Easy Rider 2, uh, one of the movies nice. that we're distributing down here at the Berlin Film Festival and the Berlin Film Market. He's been here, and he actually just left. So all I can say is that if you could ever make it to this film market, uh, please, it's absolutely worth the plane ticket. It's absolutely, absolutely worth the time that you can invest into it. You'll make so many true, real connections. And I feel oh, that's amazing. That that's what... That's what filmmakers need, you know. They, you know, you speak my language. You, you know what I'm about. So yeah, <laughs> let's get let, let, let's let's talk, man. I'll get right to the point. This is what filmmakers need, you know. And it's right here in you Berlin, know, Germany. The people, the people it, here are great. So if I'm a beginning filmmaker and, and maybe I made my first film, I go out to the Berlin film market. Are, are they going to be accepting of my stuff? Is it one of those things where filmmakers are just it's so overjoyed with just the completion of work? No, it, it, it's, uh, it, it, this is absolutely a great place for new filmmakers to show up and present their work. Of course, you can find a lot of interested distributors here. Uh, these distributors are ge- valid, genuine, and will actually just take their best foot forward and, and help out whatever filmmaker they, you know, they find, uh, or, 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 you know, we, I mean, it's amazing. You show up here, you have a film, you walk around, you know, there's like five buildings that that have events going on. And, uh, we've, we've been presented probably 20 films for acquisitions. That's called acquisitions. If you're a new filmmaker, 
you want to get to, to the person that can, is in charge of acquisitions, say, I have a film. And then you say, this is my film. Uh, what do you need? And, and then they'll teach you the second half of the language that you need to, to learn, which is the actual distribution part. And, and uh, you know, it's a very tough language. It's, it's, it's as hard as the production language, except the distribution language is, is just as it just is tough. It's like the second, it's like Spanish 101 or French 101, and then you graduate to French 102 or French 102, yeah. Spanish 102 or French 102. You know, it's, it's something like that. It's, it's like you're, you're going through the finishing class of, of what needs to happen. So, so as a new filmmaker, if you've got the chance, I would say absolutely, this is a great place to bring your new film. You will make so many contacts, and they'll be like, hey, i got a great buyer. It's a market. It's not all about signing up with one guy, and you know, uh, everybody wants exclusivity, but if you, if you can bring your film here and you can work with people and they like your attitude, you'll get a lot of deals right out the gate. You know? I, mean, I mean, you will. It, it's very, very nice. And JJ, how, how can I find out anything about, about, about the Berlin filmmaking going on right now? How can I find out about the event that you're at and, and look at some images or, or find out what movies are, are playing right now? <laughs> Wow, uh, that, that's a really good question. Uh, I guess you have to go to the EFM site, uh, the EFM, or look up the Berlin Film Festival site. Uh, we do have a couple picks up on Facebook. We've been so slammed with distribution needs uh, for the films that we represent, because of course you know we represent about uh, sixty-four to seventy-five films right now, and, and so wow. uh, yeah, we we we've been just so slammed with those distribution needs that that we haven't had a whole lot of times to post it up. You can go to eighteen Entertainment, uh, which is X V I I I, the Roman numeral X V I I I Entertainment LLC dot com. You can see the Bernali. It's called Bernali Film Market or the Bernali Film Festival in Germany. And simply, if you just Google the uh, uh, Berlin Film Festival or Berlin Film Market, it'll come up. You know, and you'll you'll be able to see where the market's at. It, if anybody awesome. can make it, I know it's a, it's a flight from right now. But wow, I'm talking amazing, amazing things going on. Uh, Let's see. There, there was uh, discussions yesterday. Uh, I, I, they have producers panels. They have the world's biggest co-production market, which is very, very important. If you have a script that can be made, be made in European countries or Canadian countries or even U.S., uh, U.S. co-productions is a little bit different game. You can co-produce in America. Yes, you can. However, if you have money that you want back from the government or if you want the government to pay, then there's other countries that will actually subsidize your productions. And so there's Canadian really? co-productions. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, it's probably one of the biggest markets where uh, government, governments in foreign countries actually support the filmmakers uh, kind of like our tax incentives or, or kind of like companies like mine where if you call up my company and say, hey, I want to produce something, whereas like my company can you know, become a part of your production, of course, and, and uh, we'll run everything under my production and, and, or my production company. But there's actually governments sure. that support co-productions also where they'll actually subsidize and finance your own picture. And, and here in Berlin, if you're looking for money to make your own picture, you can find it. 
You can find wow. people walking around saying, I want your government to finance my picture, and they'll throw it down. They'll be like, yes, we want to help you make your picture. We're the country of Canada. We want to help finance it. We're the country of Norway. We're the country of Germany. Multiple co-production deals happen here. It's the biggest co-production market. Let me ask you, JJ, since you're working at the world market right now, and this is the world film market, what, what, is there an attitude difference about filmmaking than there is in the, United, in the States? Absolutely. It's, it, 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 doors are open here. I, I'm not mm. going to say that doors are closed in the States. Uh, yeah. door, doors are, are, are much more open here, though. Uh, like I was just speaking with a, a, a German lady, and she was speaking to me in French, and I understand a little bit of French, and I understand a little bit of Spanish, and I understand English, and she was speaking Deutsch, uh, which is German. And so she just came up with a concept within five minutes of us speaking those four languages, trying to understand each other as a comedic <laughs> part. And she's like, I'll write it. We'll get it financed. Don't worry. It's that open. <laughs> it was, it, that it, is it, awesome. It's absolutely, yeah, it, it, it's incredible. It, it's absolutely incredible. Of course, you know, once the film's made, some of the, you know, the, you know, you run into some of the same roadblocks where, you know, there there are still language barriers, even if you make a film with four languages or not. But but uh, sure. but you must absolutely take that opportunity. If you're a new filmmaker, take that opportunity and get yourself to the film market and start to understand what it is about making a movie. You know, what, what the end product does. And the end product of a filmmaker is selling your film, getting known, getting get, getting it seen. You know, and that's called distribution. So if you're a filmmaker, you need to distribute your film. Right. Well, you're showing you're showing a different part of filmmaking, which is you know you need to travel, you need to meet people, you need to know people, you need to make connections in order to make these things happen. If somebody was listening right now, how important are those connections and friendly connections with these people right now? Well. Well, you're right. It, it, it is a whole different side of filmmaking. It, it, it's the latter part. There's there's three parts of filmmaking. The three parts of filmmaking are production, uh, or or excuse me, pre-production, production, and post-production. I'm on a radio interview. Thank you. Um, so so the the you know it, it, it's taught in college. It, it's very simple. It, right. You have to follow the basic layout. And th- what I'm talking about is the third portion, the third portion of, uh, of production, which is, you know, post-production. This is all a part of post-production. You need to sell your product. You need to find somebody that can represent you, whether it's a sales rep or producer's rep or distribution. A lot of times nowadays, it's not just one distribution company, unless you're lucky and you walk into Universal and Universal says, yeah, we're going to take worldwide rights and we're going to distribute it everywhere. You know, there's... There's other smaller distribution companies that will rep you and distribute what they can. Get your get your name out there. If your film takes off, wow, you're lucky. You know what I mean? You're like right. you're, you hit the jackpot. You know. And to be honest with you, that that's that's what we're talking about. The third part of the production phase, which is called distribution. Right. Right. You know, which you know that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, so tell me, do you, do you have your film there right now? I probably oh god I have I have uh, well I have 
multiple films here, actually. Right. Um, nice. My good friend Brady Bowen uh, with Archstone Distribution, he is selling my movie called The Horse Story, which is a, right. a film about a, a little girl and a horse, which I believe that we talked about a little bit. Yes. Um, a film that you and I, I, I believe, touched bases on last time we spoke, which is called The Linda Vista Project, which is the paranormal film mm-hmm. that I, I wrote and directed. And then... Nice. Uh, there's a company over here, uh, Tomcat Films. They have a movie that I gaffed, uh, National Blood. Uh, wow. And then, uh, and then there's, uh, there's, uh, there's multiple other films. Like Cinema Libre has a film that I, I uh, worked on called Hero of the Day. I was a producer on it. There was uh, nice. another film uh, represented by Artist View Entertainment called Paranormal Sorority that I, that I was a producer on. Uh, I, there's screen media is here running around. I think, you know, the thing is, is that if you want to run into a producer and sell your own film, this is it. You know, you have to right. show up. You have, well, and if you can't show up to Berlin, then please try to make it to at least Germany or make it to AFM. So that way, you know, you can get your film sold in the American market or get your film picked up in the American market. So people like us can take it all around the world and sell it all around the world. You know, so, right. so that's, that's the difference. Yeah. So I, I, I probably have, I don't know, I have, I have a lot of titles here, <laughs> but it's kind of fun. <laughs> that's <laughs> you know, a darn good thing. You know, you know, yeah, finally, it's like, wow, the kid finally cracked, right? <laughs> you know, yeah, thank good. you so much for calling. Thank you so much for calling. How you been? Go ahead, ask me a question. I've been doing good. I heard you're getting, good. I heard, I, the, n- not to make it into me, but, uh, you know, it's always, it's always fun to have somebody make it into me, but you. I've heard that you're you're going to possibly hit a new platform. Is that is that the truth? Oh, we'll talk about that some other time. <laughs> I want to talk to you and about you and your right. stuff. Now, I, I got my time in the. That's what's great about being a producer, and I think you understand that. Is I, I want to talk to you. I want to hear everything about you, and and uh, I'll have my time in the sun later on. Don't worry about me. But I, you know, okay. listen, I, the whole audience wants to find you. They want to find out where you are. They want to hear everything about you. How can we find? How can we find JJ? Now I know I know you have a okay. Facebook account, right? <laughs> my my <laughs> Facebook account. Um, I don't know. It's uh, it's it's so easy to find me. All you got to do is Google JJ Rogers producer or JJ Rogers okay. filmmaker or just JJ Rogers, and I am that guy that comes up. JJ Rogers is a filmmaker, <laughs> right. and uh, right. my most current film is a is is a horse story. And uh, so, J.J. Rogers, if you just Google that, then you'll see multiple companies that I own. 18 Entertainment, LLC, which is our distribution company. Uh, I'm J.J. Rogers 18 on IMDb, which is where 18, the number 18 in Roman numerals, XBIII Entertainment came from. Oh, nice. It's fairly simple. Yeah, if you just Google J.J. Rogers Filmmaker, it just comes up right up on Google. And yeah, I'm the guy that was born July 14th, 1971. Don't date me, yet, you know. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I reached Thank the status. Did. I reached the status that the last film that I was producing, it was like I Googled Danny Trejo, and I saw Danny Trejo's picture there. And it's like, okay, there's Danny Trejo. And I was like, bam. The next thing I Googled me, and it was like, Google accepted me because I hired Danny Trejo. It was amazing. You know, it was like, <laughs> I, I, it, was, it was so cool. Google finally accepted my name, J.J. Rogers, as a whole household filmmaker. So it was really cool, you know. That it, is it was a good awesome. thing. It was like one of those life achievements. 
Yeah. We, 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 let me ask you before before we take off. Everybody has their life okay. achievement goals, you know. Some people want to have their their names up in, in big lights. Some people want to, have to see their film in the big screen. Well, what has been a dream of yours, and have you seen that come into flourishing? Absolutely, absolutely. I we were talking about some life goals last time, right? Uh, yeah. You know, it's it's always so important to to hit life goals. My my biggest life goal that I had recently that I achieved was to have a hundred credits up on IMDb. And, and I did it. Then, then, wow. you know, another big life goal was to find somebody that I really trusted and I could really love for the rest of my life, which was my wife. I found her. I married her. I wow. did it. Okay. My, going back to my career, <laughs> going back to my yeah. career, you know, not minus my wife, because I took my wife with me. Uh, I decided <laughs> that I wanted another hundred credits on IMDb uh, and above the line. And what above the line means is a director, writer, producer. And so as that, I'm, you know, quickly achieving that. Uh, Here at this film festival, we just announced four more children's action adventure films that I'm going to be directing. And uh, it should should shake down the world. It should should put me in the category of, uh, I hope, of greatness. Uh, You know, those Lifetime Achievement Awards are really hard to reach. And yes. that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about lifetime goals. And if you have the will and determination to make a lifetime goal, a commitment into something like I did into motion picture, I commend you because there will be days that you go through hard times. There will be days that, you know, you want to quit. You know, 20 years into this business, I had to call my father, and I had to find the right support for it. And, you know, my dad knew that I, knew that I was like – 80, 90 pictures deep into it. And still, even though you may not have the best times, you know, the reason why I'm saying this is because there's people that I've seen, you know, have problems. Uh, You know, even though you're an artist and you might have those dark days uh, within your own life, it doesn't matter. You know, when you show up to an event like this and you have a product and you have something that you can be proud of, I think that you will find thousands of people that will respect that and commend that. And those are the people right. that care. And, the, and those are the people that want to support you, you know? So it's right. a big thing. So, yes, reaching those life goals are so important. Reaching those life goals. My next life goal, another 100 credits above the line, which <laughs> I oh. hope when I hit that, you call me up and say, hey, remember that life goal? <laughs> and I say, yes. <laughs> we're, look, we're looking for And we'll do another so interview. Well, we're, we're hitting the three-minute mark. We're, we're done with the show now. Thank you so much, JJ, for calling in from Germany. Uh, God bless you. Uh, you know, we we love hearing from you, your positive voice, and we look forward to seeing a hundred more credits on your IMDb. Absolutely, and, and and for lesson number two, for those new filmmakers, find somebody that can talk to you about what distribution really is. That's it. Yes. You know, just JJ, ask those questions. What are you going to do for me? We're, we're going to have you on real soon. I, I would like to have a whole show with you again and just talk to you about all these things as soon as possible. Uh, we're hitting the minute mark. JJ, thank you so much for calling in. God bless you. Have yourself a great weekend. Be safe out there in Germany and have a safe trip back to the States. You got it. Sorry I was late. I got it. We were throwing a wine party, so I was a couple minutes late. I got to go back downstairs <laughs> to it. I'll talk to you soon, okay? Go back and have fun, my friend. All right. All right have a great day. Thank okay, you. bye-bye. I'll talk to that you That was a great bye. JJ. All right. J.J. Rogers, the great J.J. Rogers. 100 credits on IMDb. Great guy, 
positive person, talks just like I do to a certain extent. He's got a lot of energy. Listen, that is the end of our show today, and I'm sorry to say that. We had the great Sean Paul Piccinino. Uh, what a great guy. Uh, reprisal, Six Feet Down Under, starring Guy Grundy, Aaron Shonky, uh Vernon Wells. It's got uh, Tony Warren, uh, who, who did cinematography and camera work for that as well. We uh, have people in that movie. It's fantastic. Six Feet Down Under. Check it out on IMDb. Check it out on Facebook. Check it out on Instagram, on Twitter. Directed by the great Sean Paul Piccinino. Six Feet Down Under. And then his new movie, he's going to be directing very soon, called Reprisal. Then we had the great J.J. Rogers. J.J. Rogers calling us from Germany. Giving you guys some excellent advice on how to make your films. The AFM. Okay. Berlin Film Festival. I'll put it all on online today. We're running out of time really, really, really fast. But Listen, guys, have yourself a fantastic weekend. Thank you so much for joining us today. We greatly appreciate it. I'm your host, Steve Pisa. You're, you're listening to Central Files Radio. We spoke to Sean Paul Piccinino today about Six Feet Down Under, as well as uh, as J.J. Rogers about the Berlin Film Festival, and we can't wait to hear about him again. Everybody, check out Sean Paul Piccinino on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as J.J. Rogers on all those platforms as well. Have yourself a great weekend. Remember to love the bunny. Meaning love your life. Love the outside. Look outside and love your existence. It's a great place. You're all special people. Have yourself a special weekend. Have yourself in a weekend that's as special as you are. And don't live your life thinking, I'm not worth it, because you are. And if you don't think that, nobody else will. God bless you all. I'm Steve Pisa for Cinema Files Radio. Signing off. I'll see you guys next weekend.